calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. What month is it? Oh, it's Pride um, Month. What month is it? Um, it's Pride Month. <laughs> Um, it's Pride um, Month! Oh, yay! Happy Pride! Yeah. Woo! Alright! Yeah. Welcome to Pride at Bitches on Comics! Pride! Woo! Welcome! We talk to people! We talk to people here! <laughs> Woo! Woo! We crush a beer people. can! <laughs> High fives, Bald Eagle! gets drunk because you're drinking vodka out of a water bottle <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning and it's flavored vodka which is always real dicey you're just drinking like watermelon vodka or something oh, it's nine o'clock in the morning so hot hottest day of the year ridiculously hot everybody is wearing no clothes but for some reason you're wearing too much clothes <laughs> and guess what by the time 11 o'clock comes around you're done. Happy Pride. That might not be everybody's experience, but it's going to be mine. <laughs> it's how I celebrate. Respect how I celebrate. <laughs> Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Fleenor, and I am absolutely delighted today to be back for our second ever only round table. Uh, if you want to catch our first round table, that's episode 48 featuring the lovely critics over at Wawak. And today I'm delighted because we're having a zines round table with the good folks from Silver Sprocket. It is promising to be a very cool conversation. So thank you listeners for tuning in. Let me start by saying, hey, I'm so, so excited. This is going to be rad. And let me first welcome you, Avi. Avi Ehrlich, welcome to the pod. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and Silver Sprocket? Uh, sure. Um, my name is Avi. Uh, I've been making zines as long as I could remember. And um, I am the publisher at Silver Sprocket, which is a, uh, a radical indie comic publisher. And um, 
we we publish and support artists making independent comics and zines and we've got like a store and a gallery in san francisco and uh yeah we just try to have fun with it and uh nurture the kind of content and art that we want to see in the world hell yeah that's extremely our vibe so very very cool uh and folks don't worry there'll be links in the show notes so you can go learn more about silver sprocket and pick up some comics you didn't even know you needed and you do trust me you do uh, I'd also like to welcome Archie Bongiovanni. Hey, Archie, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing pretty, a oh. solid okay. <laughs> I have COVID yeah. right now, so I'm just oh, a little dude. disclaimer if I sound um, nasally or if I'm like, I don't know the answer to that. That's my brain fog. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Thanks for being here despite, you know, having COVID. That stinks. Why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? But before you do, I'll remind listeners that we reviewed Archie's amazing uh, collection of their strip for Autostraddle, the strip called Grease Bats. We reviewed that on episode 66 for our comic of the week. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to it after this episode. But other than that, Archie, uh, we gave him a little spoiler, I guess. But <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I'm Archie. I use them pronouns. I'm... Um, a comic artist and I make zines and um, I self-publish and work with indie publishers as well as larger publishers now too. I'm the author of a quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns, uh, Grease Bats, which you mentioned. Um, and then my next graphic novel, which is called Mimosa, will be out in um, next spring. Yeah. Yeah. Not busy at all. Of course. I think you're all probably not busy. Jokes. Everyone sounds very busy. Uh, and then I'd love to welcome, of course, Eddie. Thank you so much for being here. Eddie Adams, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and welcome to the pub. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm Eddie Adams. I'm a comic creator uh, with Silver Sprocket and myself. And I guess I'm best known for my comic, Pinky and Pepper Forever. And I've also put some other comics out, uh, Emotional Support Animal and my next book coming out with Silver Sprocket is called Making Comic Zines, and it is kind of a how-to guide about getting started and some of the nuts and bolts of self-publishing. Uh, that sounds like a must-have. Uh, very exciting. Oh, so much fun on the horizon. We'll have to, of course, talk about everybody's upcoming projects before we end today. But, you know, to start, you know, we were so delighted when when your team reached out to talk to us about zines. We think it's the coolest. And, you know, today we're we're here during Pride Month. And I just wanted to ask a little bit of, A, if anyone wants to share a little bit of the queer history of zines and zine making. And then, you know, what role zines have played and sort of how you became a, a creator, creative, and queer zines probably in particular to some degree, if that's applicable. And let's go ahead and start with Avi. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, there's like a very rich history of queer zines going back to the eighties and just since forever, because, um, zines are something that anybody you can just make your own. You can just make one. You don't have to get permission or validation from anyone. So, um, it was something that like groups of people could just do and just create without having to be accepted by anyone around them. But yeah. I, I kind of want to shut up and let Archie and Eddie talk about this. Uh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to say, Eddie, do you want to, you want to jump in? Oh, sure. Um, Queer zines. I guess I started making zines. Um, I was fresh out of high school. I moved to Portland, Oregon for college, which I quickly dropped out of and met a bunch of people 
doing DIY zines. Uh, namely, I think the first person that I met that really inspired me was a friend of mine named Elsa Trash, who made this really cool zine. I think it was called Vasa, Queen of the Desert, which was just about this like wandering trans desert woman and her exploits. And um, I was really inspired by that. I was inspired by a lot of people that I met out there. And um, I just, yeah, I started making comics. I've always been interested in comics. And my first zines were all really queer. I guess my first zine that I ever made was a comic um, called Clone Void, which was about like a bunch of clones that were kind of just existing on this grid of nothingness, probably because it was easy to draw. And um, they just are driven to nihilism and violence because all they have is each other. It was pretty shitty, but there was lots of tits and blood and there was space for it. You know, people uh, liked it. I, I made my copies and I printed it and I was like, shit, I can't uh, get enough of this. So I was just so happy to have a space to uh, put my work out there. And it's the rest is history, I guess. I love that. I love that clone void. Like what a, what a name. What a name. Perfect. I still got a big tattoo of it on my shin because oh! I was I was so proud of myself. Like my first finished comic that I ever made. <laughs> but I, I would awesome. I would never reprint it. But the tat, I was going to ask. Tat is okay, forever. <laughs> You're like it is gone except for here. Um, that's amazing. I love that. Archie, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, your experience making queer zines and if you have any connection to the, the queer history of zine making? Yeah, so um, I don't think so. I didn't grow up knowing what like zines were as like a teen. I didn't really realize zines existed until I was an adult at like a zine fest. And I was like, whoa, you can do this. And it was mind blowing. And it was at the same time that I was also like experiencing and figuring out my queerness, discovering both of them at the same time feels very tied in. Um, and as soon as I discovered, I think it was like a flyer that was on a zine at a zine fest for uh, QZAP, the zine archive. I just remember sitting for hours on the computer, like reading all these old queer zines. Um, and there is, yeah, there is so much like history tied to it. Um, but there's also, I think what draws me to queer zines, what draws me to zines in general is like, you don't have to ask for permission to publish whatever the fuck you want to publish. It doesn't have to be perfect. And there's like a level of shamelessness to it that I really, really appreciate. I don't remember what my first zine was, but I remember that they were always tied to like me figuring out like there were pers personal zines, there were comics, and just like having this kind of space where I didn't have to rely on like a publisher. I think, I think it was after I graduated college and a lot of my friends were working in like nine to fives and I was serving. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it as like an artist. Um, and I was like, oh, wait, I can just like do it myself. And it's so empowering um, that I could I can just like play. And and yeah, I think that is like my connection with zines specifically. It's like that aspect of play, the, uh, the lack of perfection. I always call myself the opposite of a perfectionist. And that you can just like put it out like cheap and easy. Um, yeah. 
That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the questions I had and, and both you, Archie, and Avi have talked about is about that spirit of uh, do-it-yourself, the the not asking for permission. And I, you know, I'm really curious, particularly thinking about that as a publisher, like how how does that that spirit infuse the work at Silver Sprocket? And then for you, Archie and Eddie, like what does it mean to not ask for permission, but still try and access an audience? And, you know, part of that question is coming from, in addition to Bitches on Comics, we do the Decoded Pride anthology. Well, Decoded Pride's out now, decodedpride.com. And we really did that from that space of like, well, you know, there isn't a lot of this happening. Let's just do it ourselves. So I'm I'm really curious, like, how does that uh, intersect with being a publisher? And then again, how has that spirit been important to your experiences, Archie and Eddie? And let's go ahead and again, start with Avi this time. Um, sure. Well, like the overwhelming majority of what Silver Sprocket has published so far um, has been initially self-published by an artist, uh, just completely doing it themselves. And we would figure out like, okay, yeah, this, this is rad as hell and it could benefit from, um, you know, our, our marketing and distribution resources. Uh, but like as a publisher, like I, I don't want to tell anyone what to do. Like I'm not, I'm not qualified to tell Eddie and Archie how to make good comics. Um, they're already doing it. So for us as a publisher, we're more about amplifying voices than really shaping them. But then, um, as a publisher as well, like we, we're scrappy as hell. Like we, we don't really do things the way that most publishers do. Like we, I've recently started giving talks at schools about indie comics, which freaks me out because I don't think anyone should listen to me. But, um, my, my, uh, the lecture that I usually give is about anti-professionalism, about all the things that when you're coming up in the comics community that you think you need to do just because you see everyone else doing them, but you really don't. And you really can just get your message across by any means necessary by, by whatever medium and channel that works for you. And if it works, then it works. And who gives a shit about how professional or normal it is? And the same goes for promotion and distribution and everything else. Like there's always established channels, but those channels have gatekeepers and we really don't have to give them any respect or attention. We can, we can make our own channels and, you know, not have to be um, shackled by whatever the, the normal systems are. Whew, if that's not a pride appropriate conversation, I don't know what is. I love that to not be to not be restricted to the mainstream and, and the gatekeepers there. I think that's amazing. And then, yeah, Eddie, would you talk a little bit about the relationship with not asking for permission and also connecting with an audience and art, you know, how are those connected? Are they the same thing in some ways? I would I would love to hear about from your experience as a creator. Well, it has been amazing working with Silver Sprocket. I mean, just awesome experience. I think not asking for permission um, in that context has been uh, really like, <laughs> not to make it sound bad, but a lack of editing. I mean, when I put Pinky and Pepper out, it was really free range to be really experimental. Um, it was the first time I had ever had access to printing a comic in color and like I just went ham and Avi was so there for it. There was no moment where like anyone was trying to censor me or tell me that, oh, this is not our brand or something. It was like creative control and creative support, which is all I could ever ask for. So I think what Avi is saying is totally true. Like it uh, to the ethos of uh, Silver Sprocket being a DIY publisher that's still a publisher because the artists um, still 
have power and rights over our work. We can still distribute it for free, like my comics for free on Silver Sprocket's website, which I think is awesome. And it still sells copies. So I think that's awesome too. And uh, not having to ask for permission. Yeah. Um, fuck that. So that's all I got. <laughs> fuck that. That sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. And I want to add to you that we do now have an editor and we are now like actively helping artists shape their work as well. Like it's not like we're demanding to be hands off, but we're, we're very careful to make sure that we're just kind of giving other perspectives on work in progress, not telling anyone what to do or demanding that they do it a certain way. That's so cool. Um, we do have an editor, Ari Yarwood, an incredibly talented editor who is fucking amazing. And we are so, so thrilled to have her. So it's great. I love how much Silver Sprocket has grown. I am so proud to be part of it. And uh, yeah, Ari is really cool. So glad to shout them out. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and I think there's this way that what, what I really thought was cool about what, what you said, Avi, and, and what you echoed, Eddie, was that, you know, there is a way that the publisher can be this amplification. It doesn't have to be a tamping down, a controlling, a shooting for the lowest common denominator, a palatability thing. And that, I think, is really important for queer and trans creators because, you know, it can be such a burden to give the kind of queer and trans, and I'm going to use in scare quotes, representation. You know, that's the big the big push, you know characters have to be good they have to have noble means and it's it's just too much right it's like it's a different kind of uh pressure and it's not helpful to the creative process in my experience so i i you know i think there's a way that editing can be collaborative and it can be a process of of growing together you know versus being something of like oh no the marketing team says you have to appeal to this group of people so you can't use these words here or this character can be queer in every way but saying it or but kissing someone that would make it clear they were queer or what have you and i think it's neat to think about you know that's something we try and do with all of our work is build a collaborative relationship so that when the work is being discussed between an editor and a writer or an editor and a creator, it's being discussed from that place of mutual admiration for the piece, you know, loving the art for what it is and trying to to lift it together, whether that be in terms of editorial work or in terms of lifting it to an audience. So I'm curious about that, actually, Avi, if you don't mind if I come back to you, I'm curious about, you know, how does crafting an audience go or, you know, crafting is not exactly the word. I mean, again, I'll go back to accessing. Uh, how does accessing an audience, you know, fit with your ethos? Are people attracted to Silver Sprocket for the very fact that you are kind of bucking that typical normative role? Um, I think so. It's kind of hard to answer, but I think a lot of it is like, I think that people who like one of our artists, one of the artists that we publish will like a lot of the other ones. So it's really like the more amazing artists we have, the people who check out those, those books will then check out the other books that we have and go, Oh, this is really cool too. Um, I mean, we definitely go out of our way to show, to promote and showcase our work in non-traditional channels. Like Archie's, uh, zine, uh, yes, I'm flagging. Uh, we sell it to like plant stores. And there's like a, a gay plant store a few blocks from my house that, that carries it. So, um, yeah, we, we kind of make comics for people who don't realize that they like comics. But also it's because like, okay, I'm going to totally step back from the point of our hyper-local conversation. But like in Europe or in Japan, um, everybody reads comics. And it's really weird that in America, we think of them as being like for kids. 
like really comics are, are a form of communication, just like literature movies. And they, they make sense for any kind of a message. And I think they're the kind of most, um, democratized form of communication in that, uh, their like sequential art is really easy to process. So it seems to me that, yes, it's the creative ways you're amplifying and connecting with readers so that they are seeing the books in different avenues. Like, I love the idea of selling, uh, yes, I'm flagging in plant stores. Like, what a great idea. I have to ask, because Archie, did you know that uh, plant fairies were part of your audience before you wrote it? And are you surprised to learn that now? I'm not surprised because um, they have like tagged me in posts and stuff, but it it was a surprise the first time it happened. Um, I think it's awesome that Silver Sprocket is like, let's go a non-traditional route and see where Mm. we can put this like sexy little booklet, um, this sexy zine and where it might be able to find a home that it isn't traditionally found in. So it's not just like zine stores. And I think it's awesome the places that it can be found, whether it's a sex shop. I know I know several sex shops that have had it or a plant shop. Like, I love both. It's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Well, and, you know, it makes me think, you know, so often to Avi's point, we think that the audience for comics is, is narrow and hyper niche. And, you know, Archie, I think I'd love to hear from you, you know, a little bit about that question of how do you connect with your audience as you're sort of, blazing new trails, writing things other people haven't written. And, you know, in traditional publishing, for lack of a better term, you know, you prove you have the audience, you do the book proposal or you show the followers or the what have you. But when we're talking about this more accessible, more DIY, more fuck the the man, so to speak, uh, you know, maybe in more ways than one, you know, how do you use that energy to connect with your audience? And, and how have you seen that either be helpful as you write or as you sell comics or I guess just what's your experience of connecting with your audience and, and with that same spirit? Yeah. I, so I, I think when I like, I don't, I don't know if I've ever really purposely like tried to like connect with my audience. It's been like more like how can I be as like genuine and open about who I am and see who is interested back and like, how can I reflect that out and then also get it reflected back by like what I'm reading, who I'm interacting with. Um, I loved Avi's like anti-professionalism. I think professionalism is such a curse (laughs) as a person who does work with like some more mainstream publishers and then also wants to post like a picture of me in a jockstrap sometimes on the internet. I find that (laughs) that professionalism is super fucking limiting and it isn't something that people connect to. People aren't interested in that. They want to see like, in my experience, people do want to read my like little zine of like thirsty poems or the yes, I'm flagging zine with like a splash page about piss play. I think people are thirsty for that kind of content and, and um, don't always know how to seek it out. So it's exciting to hear about like where, like how distribution's happening with Silver Sprocket, because I think it isn't something we, we think that like the age of the internet stuff, like content is easy to find, but I find that is not actually true. People are still hunting it down. Yeah. Uh, algorithms are not neutral, right? <laughs> it is not easy to find the things that we're looking for. Yeah. I feel that in my heart of hearts. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. 
My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey there, listeners. Do you like the pod? you like our general vibe? you want to see us eat meals, survive, thrive in the world, come back with the podcast, be cool all the time, make money, get cars. I don't know. At that point, I was just... Buy new shoes. Buy new shoes, get a pony, invest in Bitcoin. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to go ahead and argue with that last one. But otherwise, (laughs) I am there with you. (laughs) I'm not going to invest in Bitcoin. But hey, if you want to see us, you know, be financially soluble... Please join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. We have tons of content there. We have, I think it's like a hundred back episodes. So those are things that range from talking about individual independent comics that we like as, you know, each of us on our own together to talking about why Nona Earp, why we loved it so much. Yes, we had a bonus episode about it before we had a mainstream episode about it. Who could say why? Why not? We have our cage match episodes, which are just so wild we just compare two Nicolas Cage films and then decide which is cagier and it's probably the highlight of my life if I'm being (laughs) honest we also have our intoxicated comics special that we do where we get a little bit woohoo and then talk about weird comics sometimes we have a great time and sometimes we're like what have we done (laughs) and either way it's pretty funny We also have exclusive interviews with smaller creators, all kinds of different stuff. We basically use our Patreon as an opportunity to put more good comics info out there. Oh my goodness, a very pretty bird just landed outside my window. Oh, in this spot. We got to talk about this bird. All right, let's get through it. This bird has a little red head. Oh, it flew away. Beautiful little bird. Thank you, bird. So yeah, you know, come join us on Patreon so I can look at more birds. We're yeah. at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You got to spell it out. You can't go to patreon.com and then search us because we're, I don't know. Bitches. We curse too much. We're some, some, they're like, you sound like some real bitches. So we're not going to make you searchable. And we were like, fair. Fair. Harsh, but fair. Yeah, Harsh, I deserve that. Fair. I deserve it. Archie, Eddie, I wanted to hear a little bit about, you know, what is your relationship between making zines and making comics? Do you hold them in different places in your mind? Are you like, oh, this is a zine, this is a comic? Is it uh, a continuum, a spectrum? Um, and then, yeah, I would just love to hear about your relationship with those those pieces. Well, you know, comics can be zines and zines can be comics. My upcoming book is called Making Comic Zines. So it's Specific to that, I've always (laughs) made comic zines. Um, And even though I've always been around other types of zines, like comics is where my heart is. So, of course, there's a lot of different encompassing parts of zines. Per zines, poetry, chapbooks, photo zines, 
fanzines, which can also be comics, which is awesome. And I, I love how uh, varied zines are, but my zines have always been comics. And it's kind of, there's like a, the comics world and like, you know, the big three and, you know, a lot of people making comic zines have aspirations to break into the quote industry, which like, I feel you, you know, and it was like a huge thing for me when I was first published uh, by Silver Sprocket. And even though they're not any big industry by any means of the world, like I felt like I made it when that happened. And uh, so Pinky and Pepper, you know, it's just a comic. It has a, it has a spine. It's, uh, it's got an ISBN. Uh, and that's a comic. Uh, but, you know, if it has a staple, it can be a zine. <laughs> I love it. Spine or staple? Spine or staple. <laughs> Very I mean, pragmatic. I think that's really what it comes down to is I love it. I've never heard anyone say it quite that staple. way. staple. And, you know, like there are those alignment charts online where like, like I saw one recently that was like cat boy and it was like, you know, boy traditional to boy radical, cat traditional to cat radical. Like, you know, Inuyasha is a cat boy, even though he's technically a dog. So he's cat radical, boy traditional. I was thinking about, oh, I should make some sort of alignment <laughs> chart for zines. But instead of, <laughs> instead of going from traditional to radical, you'd have to start with radical because zines in their core are already radical start mm. with radical and move to commercial um mm, and mm-hmm. i think that's where people are getting a little you know foggy on the zine definition because when commercialism really comes into play it's not really a zine anymore <laughs> but that's just my chart obviously it's a spectrum but i welcome any other thoughts on the topic yeah i think that's your cue archie any thoughts so um, I feel like, to me, it's kind of like, how do I want this information to get across? Um, and that drives me to make it either like a zine that is like more written with art, which many of mine tend to be, or if it's going to be like a full-fledged comic where it's like, for me, it would be like panels and juxtaposed to each other. Um, but mostly it's kind of like however the fuck I'm feeling when I'm trying to get information across like what seems most fun for me I don't want to ever limit myself to just one or the other you know it's a question I like to ask a lot with uh, people who write in different formats or like for different distinct audiences and a more um you know publisher sense of audience um I I don't know if you all have a better word for what you use for audience I'm like you know people who will like tune in send you some money, make your life a little bit more sustainable as an artist. Those folks. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, okay, I've got a question from Sarah, and I believe this one is for Archie and Eddie. And Archie, let's have you go first this time. So what has been the role of zines for you in developing a consistent comic drawing schedule and style that is required for the more strip-style comics? Or, you know, again, as we were talking about for you, Eddie, for like the Pinky and Pepper collected piece have zines helped you develop some consistency in your drawing what does that look like yes so I feel like for zines they have not really helped me with like consistency with my drawing schedule but zines provide a home for what I draw for fun 
which tends to be like some sexy drawings, some people making out, some nipples, etc. And so I can combine that with whatever zine I want to write. For instance, the Yes, I'm Flagging zine has a lot of like these sexy illustrations in it that were not drawn specifically for the zine, but I was able to kind of combine the two. Same with some of my like poetry zines, um, give a home for some of the art that um, otherwise would just kind of like float nowhere. Um, so that's where zines have helped me. And zines also are making sure that I am in a state of creation constantly, which is what I want, not from like an over overworked kind of place of like, I love to produce stuff. But like, I love just like having a little creative aspect constantly going on in my brain. And so zines provide that. I don't need to wait for permission for a publisher. I don't have to put a pitch together. I can just kind of like be like, I'll just throw this into that zine later. So zines help me creatively with that as far as consistency goes. That's cool. So it's like, you know, you don't have to like take an idea and try and form it into something much bigger. It can be the little zine sized idea that it is. Yeah, I I do work similar to to that. Ooh, tell us more. I'm someone who uh, only draws for fun. Uh, I cannot um, do anything if it's not pleasurable, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, true hedonist, checking in. Um, but anyway, before I put out Pinky and Pepper, I made this zine that was called Puppy Mail, and it was like, sort of my doll adventures uh, with photos, with some bits and pieces of script, with short comics. And then before I put out Emotional Support Animal, I put out a zine called Pet Pet Sampler, which was like a bunch of like drawings and musings on virtual pets and codependency and um, just other things that I was like marinating on for that comic and yeah it's a really great way to like get your thoughts out there on paper and see what sticks and then I was able to like take those ideas and put them into like a more long form comic while also like giving people a little preview of like what I'm thinking about right now and um, I haven't done that in a while actually because I think what kept me on it was like having a local fest coming up and I'm like well my big comic's not done yet but I really want to show people like what I've been working on and thinking about. So putting the mini zines out that have sort of the extras and uh, yeah, it keeps you working. It keeps you uh, thinking about that stuff. And I just, I love the uh, ephemeral nature of zines and like research where like maybe it doesn't, Like, I'll never reprint these zines again. They are on my Patreon, if you want to check it out. But able to just, like, make 25 copies of something to uh, get yourself hyped for the next big project that's dealing with those themes. I love that idea of uh, the zines being, like, complementary to the bigger projects you're working on. I feel like it's, um, you know, we all kind of enjoy something that is ephemeral. That was the other question I was going to ask next. So like you, you really caught me there, um, which is like zines have this sort of solidity, you know, they're immediately, they're in your hands. I know there's also e-zines, but let's just stick to stapled ones. Um, you know, they're in your hands. They capture sort of this moment in an artist's oeuvre, let's say, I don't want to say career because professionalism, boo, that 
maybe you'll never get to tap into again. And so, Eddie, you started to talk a little bit about what you like about that ephemeral nature. And I just wanted to invite, you know, Avi, Archie, uh, if you want to share it all about like what it is about that, you know, because I, I really hear you on like not reprinting things, Eddie. So I'm, I'm curious if you feel the same way, if you have that experience with zines you read, not just ones you create. And uh, let's uh, start with Archie. Yeah, um, I think I am always drawn to like producing something, printing something out and having it be physical in my hand. I think objects that have like a weight to them make whatever's in them even weightier. And it feels so good to like flip through a zine or flip through a book. So like physically, like I'm very into into it. I do frequently like reprint my zines for like years until I find myself over them. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done with this one. Hell yeah, give it weight. I'm printing my next zine on a stone tablet. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I guess I'm curious, how do you know when you're over something and don't want to reprint it anymore? When um, I feel like when I look at it and it stops, like when I reread it, because um, I'll reread my stuff like millions of times. Like I'll mm. like look over and be like, I wrote that? What? On my 500th reading of it. So I think I know when it's done, when I've read it and I'm like not impressed by myself anymore. Oh, I love that. What a, what a great uh, gut check. Yeah, uh, I'm the champion of staying up all night before a zine fest to like make like 50 copies of something and uh -huh. giving them away to my friends or trading them and then being instantly incredibly embarrassed by whatever it was and destroying oh. any leftover copies. <laughs> and I kind of think that speaks to part of why zines are so cool is that like you can have some random, totally fucking weird idea and it doesn't really feel like the stakes are too high. Like, if you're making, like, a comic comic, like, something to be, like, published with a capital T, like, you want to get it right because it's going to be out there in the world. But, like, if you're just kind of goofing off, you can you can have fun and not take it too seriously and let it exist in that moment and then never speak of it again. Never speak of it again. <laughs> While we're still on this topic, I wanted to uh, shout out a buddy of mine, B. Erkowitz. Uh, she just put out a really cool book um, called The Lover of Everybody in the World. But I always admired her zines. They're phenomenal, first of all. But on the back, she puts a recycling symbol that says, recycle when you're finished. I'm like, you are funny because I will treasure your zines for years to come. But I love the attitude because it's just fucking paper. Mm. Yeah, I think that for me, like one of the things I love about zines is that like I said, you can hold them in your hand, but also that they're just this this sort of moment in time. It's like time traveling. Um, Sarah, who couldn't be here today, also makes a lot of zines. She has this amazing one. Um, I think it's called uh, Vampire Lesbians or How to Be a Vampire Lesbian, I believe. And it is hysterical. And, you know, like I, whenever I find it, because it is one of my stack of papers, I sit down and I read it and I'm just like dying because it's such a it's like seeing a piece of Sarah I actually never knew because we weren't friends when when she made it. So I think that's what's cool, too, is like when you do know the person, like you're doing trades or you get your friend's zine. It's like, oh, remember who this person was? Like, that was so fun. Remember when they were really into this idea? Like, that's so delightful. We had another guest on who was talking about going through like a, a phase of just needing to make a lot of dinosaur related zines. And they were like, I needed to like not be committed to a dinosaur story, but I also needed to talk about a lot of dinosaurs. <laughs> and I was like, that is is beautiful. I love the idea of just following that creative spark or that 
that thing you just can't get out of your head and being like, you know what? I'm just going to commit it to a zine and put it out into the world and either reprint it when I like it or let it go or be embarrassed of me. Like I thought that was very sweet and relatable. Sometimes when an article of mine gets published, I'm like, oh, that's so personal. I wish I, wish I could run away. And then I do because I can. So, um, Eddie, I want to talk a little bit about emotional support animals, neuropets, if you're up for it, because I want to know why they are both so adorable and kind of chilling. Was that an intention? What is it that you're you're exploring and playing with there? And um, why does it make me think so much of my Tamagotchi? Yeah. So emotional support animal, it was a comic that I busted out for a residency that I did in Columbus, Ohio. And um, so I made it really quickly, but it was a lot of ideas that I was marinating on. And I really do wish I could have realized the entire plot um, during my four-week stay in Columbus, but that was a tall order. Um, So it is just part one and currently on hiatus, but I'd love to wrap up the story um, at some point. But all these other things are calling to my mind. Anyway, to answer your question... uh, Neuropets are um, like a biological organism that can attach via your brainstem and help you regulate emotions. Uh, A lot of these ideas were um, aesthetically influenced by things like you said, Tamagotchis, Neopets, and Pokemon, but also like, I guess, influenced personally by like, the use of antidepressants and things like therapy apps or um, even AI-assisted therapy is a thing that I see ads for all the time. Um, So uh, it was kind of playing with this idea of um, having like a cute little creature that symbolizes and externalizes a lot of learned helpless behaviors that people who get into therapized patterns might have, and that can be uncanny. Um, The twist in the story is that the neuropets themselves have a lot more agency and a lot more crazy ideas than maybe the people that they're attached to, um, which leads to a, uh, you know, biohacked revolution moment. Which is what we want all of those stories to head toward. That's amazing. Yeah, I was, uh, I loved, uh, I definitely was picking up the uh, Pokemon vibes and the Tomogachi vibes, obviously, in uh, Emotional Support Animal. It's a really, really fun comic. Well, I've got you, Eddie. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, Pinky and Pepper Forever. And I really love the cartoon-like art paired with like these images of hell and and all the gnashing of teeth and the grim reaper and it's funny and it's a little bit a little bit sad and i just wanted to know a little bit about you know i love i know you've really enjoyed writing it is is there more pinky and pepper coming and what are your wildest dreams for for them my wildest dreams is that the bridge direct which is the toy company uh that produced the original pinky and pepper dolls that were the fan art impetus of all of this stuff would just give me um, (laughs) the rights to their doll line, which has been uh, defunct 
since 2013 and allow me to redesign them for a collector audience, uh, we would rake it in. That's my biggest, loftiest dream for Pinky and Pepper Forever is um, to re-release the dolls in my vision. Um, <laughs> Comics-wise, I did write a script for a comic called Pinky and Pepper in Heaven. It was a lot of response, uh, or, or it was responding to the response of Pinky and Pepper. Uh, a lot of people were confused by why would somebody want to write a comic about a relationship that is so hellish and unideal. And um, so I had sort of a cynical approach to it where they go to heaven and everyone expects them to be perfect angels that represent the entire queer community flawlessly. And they all enter poly relationships that function perfectly on the surface. But uh, of course, there's plenty of turmoil. And um, after I wrote it and started doing designs for it and drawing all their new girlfriends and boyfriends, which were pretty cute, you know, uh, mythological and heaven staples like minotaurs and unicorns and angels. Um, it just, I just didn't really want to create it because it was, uh, it was bitter. And I have so many other ideas that I would like to move on to. But I still really, really love uh, my fans, especially the fans of Pinky and Pepper, who um, just accept the book for what it is and um, like the characters because they're cute and funny and going through shit instead of expecting either one of them to be some sort of pariah for all gay furry art. <laughs> And if any, but if anyone is going to be the martyrs that go down and burn in flames, I guess it could be them. <laughs> Too dramatic. That's not actually happening. <laughs> um, but would be like an interesting parallel of the comic itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there is boatloads of Pinky and Pepper content in my personal archives. Will much of it see the light of day? Maybe, maybe not. Um, it also, maybe a zine? Yeah. Probably as a zine. I mean, I did put out a supplementary zine to Pinky and Pepper Forever uh, that I mentioned before. But I did get a DM from the creator of the original dolls. And he was like, what is this you're selling? I own all rights. And I was like, it's just fan art. I'm a really big fan. And I got left on red. You know, I was hoping to send him a book or something. Um, so I, not huh. to say I feel on thin ice or anything, but I'm also, I have other characters that are becoming very dear to me and they don't infringe on anyone's copyright. So I think Pinky and Pepper will uh, maybe just stay as the book itself, though I mm -hmm. really want to sell out these copies uh, so it may someday get a reprint um, with extra art and uh, a name correction, hopefully. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, cool. That's fun to hear about. Thanks, Eddie. I yeah. appreciate the insights. No problem. Yeah, I, and I get like, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, okay. The planning of that story was all I needed to do. I am good. <laughs> so, Archie, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns. Um, I read a little bit, I think, maybe in an interview or on your website about the provenance of the project. And uh, it harkens back to, like, your server days. And so I just wanted our listeners to get to hear that story a little bit from you if you're open to sharing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the um, a quick and easy guide to the, the pronouns actually started as a zine um, called a cheap and easy guide to they them pronouns back when I was when I had just started coming out using they them pronouns. I was surveying full time and it was getting really tiresome to have to like constantly be explaining it to people. So I partnered with my friend Tristan, who is a who's cisgender. And together we wrote a cheap and easy guide to they them pronouns. We made it as like a Xerox zine on like neon paper and we sold it for like three bucks. And it was like very informal. We wanted it to um to be like really quick, you know, something that you can just like flip through. Also cheap enough that uh, we could just give it away or leave places or that someone wouldn't have second thoughts about giving it to a person or like leaving it on a table somewhere. And I sold it as a zine for like a number of years before uh, it landed on um, Ari Yarwood's desk, who obviously, am I correct, works at Silver Sprocket now? Yeah, uh, we we totally poached her from Oni Press. Uh, she is Silver Sprocket's editor now. Yes. And amazing. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Just like, okay, I thought so. Um, and... Um, yeah, it was like, hey, do you have any interest in expanding this as like an actual like comic as an actual like something a little bit longer, maybe something that is like appropriate for kids and workplaces. And so um, I was like, yes, I talked to Tristan about it. And in our initial conversations with Oni, I was like, I'll do it, but we have to print it as cheap as possible because I want it to still have that kind of zine aspect where, you know, it's not a zine, but I want it to still be something where people aren't having to overthink before purchasing it. So we were able to keep it at eight bucks, which I feel like really happy with. I, I'm sure they could have sold it for more, but I was like, no, the lower the better. And uh, we got rid of all the drinking and the drug references. And now it exists as it is, as this book that is like all ages been used at like offices, been used for like people have given it to like their parents and stuff. And it's awesome to hear that it's been like useful. And I thought one of the things that was really cool is it's also sold in like six packs. Is that right? Some some kind of numbered pack so that, you know, you could buy them for a workplace and hand them out. Yeah, there's like a friends and family pack that has oh, that buys them in bulk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really neat. You know, I put it whenever someone's like, Oh, I want to read more queer and trans comics. I'm like, this should be at the top of your list because you should be like, you know, learning how to treat people with dignity and respect. What a concept. Um, Yeah, I love it. It's it's so accessible. It's so, you know, it sounds like it's had a really incredible reach. Um, And then, you know, I just have to, we we have to talk about grease bats a little bit because it's grease bats. I would love to. Yes. So we got to talk about grease bats. And I, I, you know, I don't know how much of a question I have, but, you know, I'm going to spit out a couple and you just answer whatever feels right. <laughs> you know, I want to know, like, where did grease bats come from? And, you know, did you intend it to be in the lineage of, you know, Dykes to Watch Out For and Jane's World and those sort of, uh, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but slice of life kind of comics where we're talking about deeply queer, uh, in, in your case, deeply queer and trans communities of friends and, and their sort of like uh, their woes and their loves when applicable and their network of friends. So, I'm, I, you know, just tell me about Grease Bats. Yeah, awesome. So, um, no, I don't know if that was like my initial intent was to be a part of like these slice of life queer comics. Um, I am honored <laughs> for anyone who puts 
Grace bats up on the level of those two amazing comics. Um, <laughs> very badass. So Grease Bats started working with Autostraddle. They uh, were like, hey, I think we're going to start doing monthly comics. Do you want to draw a comic for us? And I, you know, brainstormed for a little bit. And I was like, oh, I really want to draw these two characters, Scout and Andy, which feel very much like two reflective sides of me, kind of working through different things, like interpersonal aspects um, from within the queer community. And it was really important to me that like reading it, you had to be a part of it to get the jokes. So like my audience was never like someone straight or, you know, someone straight cisgender is going to read it and like get it. Like I'm fine with multiple jokes, like going over their heads and really trying to like mirror what was going on in me with me and my community in these comics. So putting in as many little like Easter eggs as I can for like me and my buds And then, yeah, just like kind of like, yeah, slice of life comic. I just, I think our lives are so fun. I don't think like I'm constantly entertained by like my friends' antics and and whatever. And so to be able to kind of like draw them out, whether it's just been like making new friends or on Tinder or like trying to have a casual hookup, but it's not casual. Like those are so fun to me to kind of like explore and Grease Bats really was um, like a really great platform for me to kind of like dive into different aspects of our lives. And that's what it feels like. It does feel like, like sometimes I just think about Scout and I'm like, oh, what's Scout doing? You know, <laughs> like it feels like. More I am delighted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I got to read the uh, collected volume and, you know, it's just so, it's so nice to have it in your hands. But, you know, it was really special because I, I think I discovered it. Uh, when it was on auto straddle, but then I, you know, really fell in love when I had the volume, and I was like, "Oh my god, what have I've been missing? These wonderful people." Um, it's a really, really special comic. So thank you. I've been dying to get to ask you about grease bats, and uh, you know, later once mimosas is out, we'll have to talk about having you back on the pod, and we can talk about that too. Decoded, decoded. I heard a rumor that something called decoded was just around the corner. Decoded, decoded. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming back for the third year in a row with our extremely cool, very dear and near to my heart, speculative anthology of all LGBTQ stories by queer and trans authors. Decoded. It is called Decoded Pride. It's at decodedpride.com. And you can pick up a subscription today for only $14.99. Or if you go to any of our social media sites on Instagram or Twitter at Bitches on Comics, or if you follow us on Patreon or support us over there on Patreon, we have discount codes already all plugged in for you and you can get it for even cheaper. So go check those out. But right now you can get it for $14.99 at decodedpride.com. And Sarah, what is Decoded? What are people going to get? They get 30 stories, comic books. You have stories of horror stories. You have fantasy stories, science mm-hmm. fiction, all of the things. You know what speculative fiction is. I don't have yeah, to Yeah, stuff tell that's you. just even just too hard to define. S- simply undefinable, genre-bending. Yes. Yeah, I'm really excited this year, the, the stories. I mean, they're, they're great every year. And if you haven't bought a subscription to issue one or issue two, you what can do you so doing? right now <laughs> over at, guess what, decodedpride.com. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Please go, there go now. get a subscription. 
I think it's just really neat. It's awesome to read queer and trans people's stories that are the ones they want to tell because they mm. know they can take risks with us. And I, you know, I've really seen that pay off and I'm delighted. I can't wait for people to start seeing these. We hope you'll come support us and all of the amazing creators we're getting to publish this year. We are absolutely ecstatic. Again, join us at decodedpride.com. Dot com. So Avi, I've got one question just for you. And that one is, talk to me a little bit about what you see the future of Silver Sprocket looking like. And, you know, what are the your wildest dreams there for, for what y'all are going to be doing? Wow. Uh, I don't even really... So Silver Sprocket so far has been a lot of like, I'll read a comic that someone has already made. And I think to myself, like, oh my God, this is incredible. I want to buy 10 copies because I have like 10 friends and I want to gift it to wait, let me just give it a signal boost and like go overboard and make a thousand of them and get them everywhere. But now we're starting to actually like get involved in projects that are not yet made and helping shape them, like not shape them and, and telling them what to do, but um, nurturing them and giving them the support to get created, um, you know, giving artists advances and editorial support and everything. So they're not just like scraping by, like struggling to to make something. So um, really, I just want to... um continue to publish stuff that is just really important and, you know, fun or interesting that other people don't want to publish for whatever reason. Um, my ultimate dream would be to be completely irrelevant and not have to publish anything because other publishers are doing their job or that publishers are completely obsolete and people can just do their own thing and not need validation or support from an outside entity. But, um, but as long as that that's helpful and has some function, uh, I'm having a really good time working uh, with my favorite artist and, you know, helping get stuff out there. That's just really rad. So, um, yeah, just uplifting, interesting and important voices and stories and getting to be a part of all that. That's awesome. And I, you know, I'm curious about this transition as you're moving into working with people a little bit earlier in the the process. What do you like about doing that? That is, is different. It opens up a lot more, um, of kinds of things that can get made. Like with, we were definitely having a, a really great time just giving a signal boost to something that someone already made. And it's a lot less risky because I know already what it is. Uh, so there's not the insecurity of like, what if it turns out weird and I no longer like it or something. But um, I think that a lot of artists just don't have the luxury of being able to spend a ton of resources and time and energy on a project. Uh, so a lot of zines are smaller because you have to Bit creating it into your schedule, um, into your life. Like you don't have like forever to work on it. So I think it will enable artists to be more thorough and really spend more time and energy on something. So hopefully we'll be able to get, I don't want to say like better work, but a, a more, more thought out or more something that took a lot more effort and, and, and energy than what one could usually accomplish with just a regular zine. So I think it's like just giving, giving artists more resources to really really get in there and um, make it something bigger and greater. And I, and I think too, you know, there's a, an opportunity there to, to give someone the encouragement they need. Right. You know, I, um, I love 
all y'all, y'all are like so good at advocating for yourselves and and putting it out there. And it's wonderful and obviously part of your uh, market success. But, you know, not everybody has that. And sometimes as a publisher, as an editor, you can help people develop it. You can help be the first person or, you know, one of the first people to be like, uh, this fucking rules, you know? And I think even in, in both ways that you publish too, like even for work that's already out there, it must be an incredible feeling to be like, uh, this rules so much. I want to publish it. Get over here. And that is, I made it sound a little bit mortal combat-y, but, um, you know, in like a positive way, you're not going to like then actually do the, you know, bonus kill. I assume. Um, I have I laughed. A- I was on mute. <laughs> I, you know, like- I totally <laughs> lulled as well. And I was like, well, there's also like the friendship codes at the end where you can like give Oh, a that's hug, right. So. I forgot about that. I completely, you know what? That just says a lot about who I am that I forgot about like the nice part. <laughs> I feel like the nice, the friendship ones were like a response to like, uh, like they made them like that because of censorship, <laughs> but oh, I might be wrong. <laughs> I, you know what? That tracks, that tracks. <laughs> So, you know, I have one more question from Sarah that I want to share with you. And I think, you know, Eddie, you've talked a little bit about this, so it'll make sense to start with you, which is how have Zine Fest informed your work as an artist? Or, you know, there's such a community-based thing and zines are really community-based. So has there been overlap there? Obviously, lately, maybe not as much given the state of the world. But, you know, in the before times, what role has have Zine Fest played in, in your career and um and, and how Silver Sprocket does your work. Uh, I love Zine Fest. Um, Zine Fest is where I got started. Before I ever tabled, I was just printing my stuff out and giving it away for free or asking people to do trades uh, with anyone that I saw. And that's how I uh, first connected with Avi, just um, giving my zines away for free to the Silver Sprocket table. Um, so I consider that to be an extremely important part of my uh, life, practice, whatever. I have organized, been on organized teams for a few zine fests, uh, Bay Area Queer Zine Fests. I was on the organized team for a few years. And then I was on the organized team for San Jose Zine Con. I guess both of those fests, I was on the team for the first uh, iteration of it. So the founding, you know, fest or whatever. And um you know, I'm not a super organized person. I don't see myself as an organizer or like an advocate or uh, activist or anything like that. Like, I'm really just an artist. But the thing is, like, zine fests are so damn important and so damn fun that you just got to do it. And you don't have to be some sort of grant writing asshole. No offense to people that write grants for their job. Good job, everybody. But, you know, you don't have to do anything like that to throw together a zine fest, you know, like the zinesters do most of the work. You just have to find a place that you can host it like a public library and do a little bit of wrangling and uh, people will show up with their work and it comes together because of the artists that do it, which is really amazing to see firsthand. The first time I did an organization project, I was so stressed out. I thought everything was going to fall apart and it was awesome. Uh, Everyone showed up with their stuff, massive attendance. It was so cool. Uh, so I love zine fests and I hate the internet. So, um, zine fests are really (laughs) important, uh, because trying to connect with people online is a shit show. People are not in a good mood when they are online. People, you know, the, the algorithm is trained for hatred. So Mm -hmm. your work is going to get shared more if people don't like it than if people genuinely do like it, which, you know, it can be a blessing in disguise sometimes. I got a bunch of unlikely fans 
because of a thread about Pinky and Pepper on 4chan that lasted like five days, which is crazy in 4chan timeline. So, you know, the internet, it's full of haters. I can be a hater too, whatever. But zine fests are full of lovers and we love to see it. I like to make my art as dark as it can be. I make it from pure love out of my heart, man. So I love to see people geeked on the zines at the fest. You get to actually connect with people. You can cut them deals. You don't have to charge any shipping. You don't have to make a spreadsheet and make sure you didn't forget shit. I love fests. It's the best, you know? And uh, and I'll sell zines anywhere, man. Like, I had a garage sale this weekend, and I, I put my zines out at my garage sale because I was like, maybe somebody yeah. will want them. And shit, I sold a few zines and some banged up ass paintings from 10 years ago so amazing amazing (laughs) anyway uh i love real life even though yeah it's it's dark and twisted too but at least it's not like an even more dark and twisted microcosm of the dark and twisted shit that's outside Mm. um so yeah yeah. and and the algorithms being like you said they just they're programmed to make you upset you know and and definitely angry and to make you negative and i've been spending a little bit less time on on social media and it's like oh my gosh maybe i i don't hate everything i would (laughs) love to be an artist that didn't have to rely on social media oh my god i'm so jealous of people who are like oh yeah i don't have to do it anymore i'm like oh man I'll get there. I'll get like there you. one day. And, uh, <laughs> I believe I'm manifesting it for all of us. Y'all never fucking hear from me again. You can read the book. <laughs> I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be like reading Rainbow. Like, like, don't take my word for it. Read the book. I'm out. <laughs> do you think you'll still do podcasts then? Because I'd love to have you on. <laughs> oh my god. I this. I'm not an experienced podcast guy, uh, but I think this is only my second time doing a podcast and my first time was like last week and it was oh wow <laughs> it was incredibly uh non-structured there was no questions i think we just ended up talking about Yu-Gi-Oh. um oh perfect but, uh <laughs> may- maybe i would maybe i wouldn't i don't know the, the jury <laughs> is still out on whether or not podcasts are totally lame so but <laughs> not not i've had a great time here it's, it's been good um, hey, we love we love to be read. So thank you. Um, that was beautiful. <laughs> uh, so Archie, do you mind talking a little bit about your relationship to Zine Fest? And you know, again, probably primarily in the before times. And yeah, I mean, I don't make this shit because I'm trying to live like a solitary life. I have like an innate uh, gut need to like create something and share it and connect over it with someone else. And Zine Fest are this like awesome space to do so and also give me space to connect with other people over what like the weird rad shit that they're creating. I love that. Yes. I love that it's offline and that it's like in person. It's such a good feeling to be in like a room of rad nerds who have like sweated over a Xerox machine. Like it's such a unique experience. And then it's just like really fun to be in a space with other people who've also done it, who also get it. And yeah, just to kind of like see and share and trade the things that you poured yourself into and the other things that people poured themselves into. And the and the zines like don't have to be like fucking deep. They can be like how to make X whatever. And I'm just like, oh, fuck, yeah, it's so cool. So I think it's just like I just want to be in a space full of enthusiasm. And that's what zine fests are. And they're really unique that way. 
Yeah, yeah. Yes, zines are better live. It's it's kind of like crappy music too. Like the recording, maybe you wouldn't want to listen to it, but when you're there in the space and people are geeked on it, um, <laughs> something special goes in. Just had a butt in on that. Yeah, and 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 it goes back to that like, and then it's gone thing, right? Like it's there, it's happening, and then it's over. The zine fest is happening. You're connected. So you're feeling that like utopia feeling, and then it's exactly. Gone. Yeah. You know, I've tabled at this is stupid, but I tabled at LA Zine Fest. And um, Matt Groening was there, Grenning, whatever, Simpsons man, um, icon. Uh, uh, if you look at my art, you can tell I learned how to draw hands from <laughs> watching The Simpsons. But he came around with a trash bag and was buying shit from every person and was oh. so enthusiastic and geeked and like looked at everybody's work and bought everything, spent hundreds of dollars, I'm sure. Who knows if those zines ever got out of the trash bag? I don't know if he went home and read them all. I don't know if he put them in the recycle immediately. And I don't care. It's just awesome. Yeah, what a story. I love that. And the person that I'm not from LA, but somebody who does it all the time was like, was like, oh yeah, you know, he's here every year, like buying up just massive quantities of zines. I'm like, that, you're a real one for that, Matt. That's legit. I love that. And then Avi, I was just curious about uh, Silver Sprocket's relationship to Zinefest. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, we well, Silver Sprocket started out as a record label before being a comic publisher, so it was kind of like what what uh, Eddie was just talking about of like being in the concert or being in the space um, is like a real experience of connecting to people. And I think Zinefest are so important because they're community, like. When you make comics and zines, you usually do it by yourself um, in a vacuum and you're not really interacting with anybody. And the people who read your comics and zines read them by themselves. And there's such a disconnect that you don't really get to um, experience that people actually really do give a shit about your art and are moved by it and that it's important to them. So a zine fest is like the one day a year that you, you're actually connecting with your audience and are celebrated for what you're doing. And that's like, and it's also really important so that you don't think that you're crazy because you you really need to have community and if you don't interact with other people who do what you're doing you just think that anything you're doing is totally weird and being around other people who are going through the same shit that you're going through and have similar challenges is um just so comforting and makes you know that you're not just totally alone in the world and you know it's, it's kind of a mixed bag because now that silver sprocket has been finding a certain level of success and growth like, we're still being enthusiastically invited to a lot of Zine Fest, but I feel like we've kind of outgrown it a bit because we have real distribution and, like, the minimum print run of a book we put out is probably 2,000 copies. So I feel like we're not really making zines anymore. Like, like it or not, we are a little bit more of a not quite mainstream, but bigger than, like, we're, we're not folding these and stapling them by hand. Um, but I definitely still want to keep going to Zine Fest. Uh, I want to sponsor them. I want to like host an after party. And um, I, I don't want to lose that connection to, to the community and real people. That's me. <laughs> that was so heartwarming. Yeah, I love that idea of still like staying connected and and being supportive, you know? Gotta remember our roots, right? Wow, what a conversation. I have learned so much. I have had, I've laughed so hard I cried. I particularly like the burn about podcasts. That was 
hilarious, Eddie. Thank you. Um, I have just had a great time. I'm so glad you all are here. So I'm curious, you know, before we wrap up, I would love to hear about what's coming up for you, what's uh, ahead. And Archie, you talked a little bit about mimosas coming out in, um, I think I was just creeping earlier today. I think it's February, 2023. And I would love to hear like, you know, give us a little teaser. Like, why are people going to love mimosas? Sweet. I think people are going to like Mimosa because it's about a crew of um, queers in their like mid to late 30s as their chosen family implodes, um, which I think is very relatable <laughs> to a lot of queers in their 30s. And it's like funny and it's sexy. Um, so I think I think folks are really going to enjoy that comic. So you can pre-order it now if you want. Awesome. And then anything else you can talk about coming up for you, Archie? Um, I've got something coming up with Oni Games, um, which is also going to be very um queer and sexy, but I can't give too many details mm. about that. Um, and then I'm gonna um I'm putting together a new zine uh, for some point when I feel like it in the next year as well. Lovely. Well, we'll be keeping an eye out for that. Um, Eddie, what do you have coming up that you can talk about? Coming up real soon in July or maybe early June is Making Comic Zines, my how-to guide on getting started. Um, it is still in the works right now, uh, but it's really coming together. I put out a, uh, I think it was a 12-page version a couple years ago, and Silver Sprocket asked me to expand it. So a 36-pager is coming out soon. Um, it's a great resource. I teach summer school comics, um, so I'll be using it for that. And then my other, I guess, personal project on the back burner that I would love to get out into the world is called God's Bastard Timeline. It is mm. a, another musing on religious guilt and um, isolation and bad relationships. But don't worry, it's funny too. Uh, it's about a... <laughs> nun and a shape-shifting demon well you had me at nun and shape-shifting demon unfortunately it's the last thing you said but you had me at the whole thing actually Thanks. sounds delightful there's so much fun coming up that's amazing and then avi obviously you've got lots of books coming up through silver sprocket but anything you want to talk about in particular before we close today yeah um we we have so much going on uh we have a storefront in san francisco that we we previously, it was like a pop-up that we kept on taking over empty, abandoned buildings and having our shop in it. But uh, we just finally signed a lease on a, a place on Valencia Street. So uh, we're gearing up to have a bunch of art shows and events and the kind of thing that you have to book more than a month ahead because you don't... Before, we didn't know if we'd, we'd have a space still. And now that we do, it's it's so exciting to actually like schedule stuff. And also, another really exciting thing is um, now that we have been doing pretty well, we... Uh, I no longer have to personally do every single job, but we have like a dedicated editor and a designer and a publicist. Uh, so we're ramping up our production to three or four books a month from uh, the previous one or two books a month. And um, yeah, just some artists coming up. Uh, Rosemary Valero O'Connell, um, Ashley Robin Franklin, Iggy Craig, Hugo Limbo, uh, Tina Lugo, and uh, Becca Tobin. Um, so many incredible books coming up that I am so friggin' excited to share with the world. So um yeah, we are. We're out here. Amazing. And Avi, where can people find Silver Sprocket online? And if you want to share any personal handles as well. Uh, totally. Um, Silversprocket.net or just search for the word Silver Sprocket. Um, 
we've got the Instagram handle, but not the Twitter. And I don't know how to use TikTok. So really just those two, I guess. Awesome. Thank you so much. Eddie, where can folks learn more about you online? Uh, I have an Instagram. It's at Eddie Adams, just my name. Uh, And I have a Patreon, which has uh, scans of all my out-of-print zines and sketchbook updates every month, which is patreon.com slash Eddie Adams. Very cool. And Archie, where can folks learn more about you? Okay, I think I'm most fun on Instagram, which is my (laughs) my username is babywrist, one word. Um, You can also find me at greasebats, grease underscore bats on Twitter. And you can find my website, which is just archiebongiovanni.com. Fantastic. And listeners, please don't worry. If you didn't have your pencil out for that, you can just go click over on the show notes and we will have hyperlinked to all of those resources. Archie, Eddie, Avi, I I can't thank you enough. This has been delightful. Uh, You've made me laugh. You've taught me a ton. And, you know, I'm so glad this worked out. Silver Sprocket's doing really cool stuff. So we're pumped to have partnered today for this awesome zine roundtable. Kate, thank you so much for making us sound awesome. We are so lucky to have you. Monica, Sarah, you know I love you. Even though you're not here, you're here in my heart. And listeners, we couldn't be here without you. You know the joke. Of course we could, but it would be awkward. So thank you for being here listening and helping us get to connect with amazing people like Avi, Archie, and Eddie. All right, everybody. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at BitchesOnComics and on Instagram at at BitchesOnComics. Our website is, brace yourself, BitchesOnComics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes. And we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at se underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, But more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my two wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I'm hoping to open up the conversation about balancing careers and family. 
The one thing I constantly hear successful people say, without fail, is that they wish they'd spent more time with their kids. That's time no one can get back. So I decided to create Business Dad, to engage in the conversation about how we're spending our time now, providing a forum for successful dads to share their joys and challenges of being a working parent. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier. And while this podcast will talk about business and will definitely be featuring dads, I think everyone can learn something from these incredible conversations as we unpack the expectations we all have about careers, relationships, and ourselves. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.